I want to start this morning with something by Richard Chewy, a counselor, and what had happened. He was counseling a husband and wife, high school sweethearts, been married now for 10 years, and the wife had panic attacks every day for 10 years, and it also gave her problems with her stomach and other health problems on top of that. Had gone to different counselors, and nothing seemed to work, and so Richard's going to ask the husband, Mark, how did the day normally start? He's going to explain how he says goodbye. And Richard then is going to say, let's try something radically different. And as you listen to this, what you'll see is if you want to see changes and what you have been trying has not been working, sometimes you'll see a new perspective and some radically different action brings about the result that maybe you really are looking for. So here's what happened in that counseling session. Richard says to the husband, what you have been doing is not working. We need to do the opposite. What do you say to Mary Ann each day? Mark replied, I tell her, I love you. I hope that you feel better. What would be the opposite of that? I don't love you, he said. I told him, we need something stronger, something awful. I could tell her drop dead. Mary Ann gasped. That's good, I told Mark, but something even stronger. Mark said, drop dead, you are a terrible person, drop dead. I said, very good, what else? Mark turned to Mary Ann and said, if you die, I'm going to marry again. Mary Ann replied, I don't think this is very nice, and I don't see how anything like this is going to help me. We started last week looking at some things from a gentleman named John Rieger. We'll look at some more of that from Tony Robbins, Chloe Madonna's. And as we talked last week, John made a, a great point. Someone pays for every sin committed. Either the person who committed the sin pays for it, or somebody else that was damaged by that sin has to take responsibility for the emotional pain that person caused. We're looking at healthy relationships, individual health, and what we're talking about here are some things that can be done to bridge relationship problems. This is not for every relationship. Some may never be reconciled, but you can find freedom and peace using the steps we talk about. If you have something that's caused hurt, someone who has caused hurt. Again, not for every relationship. Some might have someone in mind from recently. Others, it might be somebody from 30 years ago. It might be somebody that's already passed away, it might be somebody that it wouldn't be safe to even reconcile because maybe there was abuse. But you can find freedom with the steps that we are going to look at today. And again, we looked at last week, for instance, the power of conscious or effective blaming, like Tony Robbins says, and all you do is you simply repeat a statement, whoever it is that hurts you, maybe it was your dad, and you simply say, I blame my father for, and what was the negative thing? come up with three, four, five, and it might be your mother, it might be your spouse, it might be a teacher, whoever it is, and you simply say, I blame them for. So maybe your father was an alcoholic. I blame my father for being an alcoholic. I blame my father for being abusive. Once you go through that, though, come up with just as many, three, four, five, six positives that came from that situation that you had. So maybe you blame your father for being an alcoholic, but you can also say, I blame my father because he gave me strength to handle difficult people. I blame my father because he gave me an internal sense of courage and love and peace to treat people better than what I saw. There's always a way if we are committed, you simply just repeat that statement, I blame whoever it is for, what's the negative, 
with something positive that came out of that. Again, Tony Robbins again shared that his mother got married many times and some of those men were abusive. And he says, I blame my mother for marrying abusive men, but I also blame her for the power of the relationship I have now with my wife because he saw the opposite pursued the healthy relationship. So let's look at some steps here. Key thing to remember anytime we're talking about change, in your head you are dead. In your head you are dead. We've all gone through steps logically, even forgiving people logically, maybe at church, at a seminar, and you said logically, I forgive this person, but it really didn't take. That's because if you're only in your head thinking logically, there's no freedom there. What did Jesus often say is from the heart flow everything in life. It's got to be something down in our heart. So maybe for you today, write down the steps, and when you're in a quiet time during the week, you can go through these. You can do them here today in your head, but it needs to be something down into your hearts. So write these down and, and really think about them and revisit this when you can focus from the heart. If it's just from the head, you'll never ever get free. So let's consider perspective. This was something I think brilliant by Stephen Collins. This is on a Swedish king, 450 AD. There was a mythology around On. He was dying. He had nine sons. Prayed to the gods and they said, if you want to live ten more years, sacrifice a son. He did. To simply live ten more years and to reign as king, a very strong dictator. Ten years later, the gods make the same offer. He sacrifices another son. All the way through, sacrifices all but the last son, he wanted to sacrifice that son, but the city people hid that son so that the king couldn't. Extended his life almost a hundred years, greedy, terrible story. Or consider this famous story from Troy, 1250 BC. Agamemnon wanted to sail to Troy. There were no winds, prayed to the gods. How do I get wind? They said, sacrifice your daughter. We'll provide winds to sail you to Troy so you can get revenge. So he sacrifices his daughter for wind so that he might sail to Troy for revenge. Brings us to the true story. Found in Genesis, of course, here's Hebrews 11, speaking about Abraham. By faith, when Abraham, tested, when Abraham was tested by God, he offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said, it is through Isaac your offspring will be reckoned. Of course, this was just a test. Abraham passed the test, but this is biblical faith compared to that worldly picture by On and Agamemnon. Abraham had nothing to gain and everything to lose by losing Isaac. Isaac was the promise fulfilled after decades. But Abraham said, to obey is better than sacrifice. So he was obedient, no matter what the cost. And that faith was counted unto him as righteousness. You see, there's the world like on. Everything he did was for gain, no matter who he hurt. For Agamemnon, it was just revenge that drove him. Nothing honorable. The true faith, like Abraham says, look, I may not get anything, I may lose it all. 
But if I do that in obedience to Christ, that's something I would willingly do. Some of the things we'll talk about today may not be easy, may not be simple, but in biblical faith, there's times when we step up to the plate and say, you know what? I'm ready to pay the price to find freedom in Christ. John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, said if there were two angels in heaven and they were given assignments by God at the same time, and one was to go and rule the greatest nation on earth, the other was to sweep the streets of the dirtiest village, each angel would be completely indifferent to which one got which assignment. It wouldn't matter. Why? Because the real joy lies in being obedient to God. For a child of Christ, the important thing isn't what God has us doing. The important thing is that we're doing what God wants us to do. So I'll give you quick steps here. You can do these in your heart right now, but write these down and have time later to really go through these. For you, it might be one person. Somebody else, it might be several people. Steps to freedom, though. If you're the one paying for somebody else's sin, rather than hold on to that pain and hurt, here's the way to freedom from that. Step one is to simply write down the person or the people who hurt you. Again, not everybody, but the ones in relationships that you need to find healing in. List the person or the people who have hurt you. Write it down because you get it out of your head onto paper, moves it beyond just that place of logic. John Rieger says, you know, we can require justice and make them pay for their sin, but the result is often more bitterness and conflict. Or we can move up to forgiveness. Again, forgiveness, not the same as reconciliation. You can find emotional freedom in forgiveness, but you may not ever have reconciliation with that person but you can find freedom from the pain. Psalm 90, we're going to look at here for a moment. Example here of perspective. Some of the statements in Psalm 90 are filled with hope. Some of the statements don't sound as hopeful. Let me read the first part of Psalm 90. You return man to dust for a thousand years in your sight are as but yesterday, as a watch in the night. You sweep men away as with a flood, like a dream. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Wayne Dyer often quoted a great statement. If you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. It's important to understand context is always king in understanding scripture. So Psalm 90 Though most psalms written by David, this one was not. In fact, this would be the earliest psalm written. It was written by Moses. It was written by Moses 38 years into the wilderness. You remember they left Egypt. Moses led the children of Israel out. They arrive at the promised land about two years later. Send the 12 spies in. Ten come back and say there's giants in the land. We could never take the promised land. Those ten stir up the people. They rebel against Moses. They turn from their faith in God. And they begin to pursue their own gods. So for that, the punishment of that rebellion and that disbelief is they will never then enter the promised land. So they will wander for 40 years in the wilderness 
until everybody over 20 dies. Well, that's been 36 years past. And Moses sits down and he writes Psalm 90. And for the last several decades, what's he watched? The consequence of sin. 100 people a day dying with no purpose in life. They're just marking time, waiting to die in the wilderness. And what does he then say again? You sweep men away as a flood like a dream. However, he also says this, because he also knows that God has preserved the people. And the ones under 20 are going to inherit the promised land. And the ones there in the wilderness, no matter what age or sin, still have manna, supernatural water, the presence of God. And the Moses continues Psalm 90 when he says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth, from everlasting to everlasting, you are our God. Still miracles, still the presence, and Moses says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He says something else profound here. We'll see in just a moment. Again, see things differently. Different perspective. Maybe try something different today. Takes us back to Richard in the counseling session. I told Mark, every morning before you go to work, say, drop dead, you're a terrible person, and if you die, I'm going to remarry. Can you do that? Yes, Mark said, smiling. Marianne again insisted, this is rude, this will not help me. I said, you know, it's time for something different. Let's try this for two weeks and see what happens. A few days later, I got an emergency call from Mark. Marianne had become so upset, she screamed at her mother and mother-in-law. I invited the entire family to meet in the morning. Step two to freedom. Step one, list the person, the people that hurt you. Step two, simply write out how they hurt you. But to be honest about it, we tend to soften things to make it sound better than it was. Again, as we said last week, there are people to blame. It's naive to pretend otherwise, but blame effectively, but also be honest about what happened. Here's the person, and here's what they did to hurt me, and write that out again. Get it on paper so it's not simply in your thoughts. Now it moves into your heart. But understand this, as John Rager says, every time you have pain, the enemy will put lies on top of the pain. People will say to me, I paid all my life for the problem this person is causing me. And I say, I know you're carrying their problem along with all your problems. Instead, I encourage you to do this. Ask Jesus if he understands the pain you are feeling. Then we wait. See, the hurt, the pain, toxic relationships, again, be honest about what happened but also come to a place and some are upset at God or feel abandoned, simply take a moment, several minutes, and just say, God, do you understand the pain? Jesus, do you see me? For instance, John Reger says, you know, some people say, Jesus, I feel so angry and unloved and worthless. Others say, Jesus, would you come and speak peace to my pain? Or simply, God, this is my pain. 
I don't know what to do with it. And people have shared with him in that quiet moment, they've sensed God speak to them, simply saying, you know what, you are special, and the problem hasn't been you. The problem's been your husband or your wife. Others simply hear quietly, my peace I give unto you. The point is, again, coming to that place from our heart to say, you know what, relationship problems, how do you get to the place of healing? Who was the person? What did they do? Take a moment, ask Jesus, do you see what I'm going through? Remember, when it comes to things like hurt and anger and bitterness, that Satan will use that to destroy lies. Paul talks about it. He says anger, if it's left uncontrolled, gives the devil a foothold. A foothold, men, a foothold means he's got a place in our life. It's going to be difficult to fight him when he's got that foothold or stronghold in our life we're bound by anger and hurts. The cure for bitterness and anger and hurt is forgiveness. And the challenge is, though, forgiveness demands a payment. Again, it's not fair what's happened to many, but to hold on to the pain on top of the other pain, it just continues to cycle. So there are times that we are the ones that choose to assume the emotional debt or payment for the pain someone else caused us. And here's the key then, as we free the offender, we become free from the effect of holding on to that pain. Again, it's not reconciliation necessarily, though it might be for some, but it is about, I give this to you, Jesus, let there be healing in me. So as you go to the holidays, something Chloe Madonna's put together, you can notice that not to criticize somebody, but take some of these things and maybe you can offer them with a lot of grace to somebody else. So for instance, when it comes to family dynamics, who causes the most disruption in your family? Who causes the most disruption? And what do people do when those disruptions happen? What do they focus on and what do they not focus on? Some people create a lot of drama because it draws a lot of attention to them. And then people focus on that instead of focusing on how to give love. So who causes that disruption? What do people do? What do they focus on? What do they not focus on? How can then you introduce these steps to bring healing? Again, doing it in a way filled with grace. Step three is write down an emotional word that describes that pain and then rate it on a scale of one to ten one being minimal pain and ten being ultimate pain but again write down words that speak to you for instance most people only can list you know 15 to 20 words for emotion so try to find some though outside of that to describe it you know there's of course maybe it's simply to say i'm hurt or i'm angry but maybe you're shattered. Maybe you're all alone. Maybe you're embarrassed or afraid. Maybe you're shamed, helpless, feel no way out. Find a word that really describes or two or three words that really describe it. You know, you go back to the 1800s, there was a gentleman in Ireland, his name, Joseph Scriven. He was to get married his fiance, though, died, 
in an accident the night before the wedding. Joseph left Ireland and moved to Canada, thought it was about as far as he could get on the other side of the world to leave that pain. While he was in Canada, though, he quickly grew ill. Then he received a telegram that his mother also was ill back in Ireland. He sat down and wrote a poem to her. When she got the poem, she shared it with some friends. They shared it. More people shared it. Somebody put it to music. We sing it today. Here's the poem that he wrote. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Different perspective. Follow in obedience. That's where freedom is. Again, real quick, who caused the hurt? How did they hurt you? What was the emotional pain they caused? How intense was it? We close here with step four, which is a freedom prayer. Put the prayer online so anybody can read it there and you want to write it down now as well. But the prayer is simply this. Jesus, I choose to forgive and fill in that person's name. Jesus, I choose to forgive that person for causing me to feel. There's that emotional word. And I'm willing to pay for the emotional pain and consequences that that individual caused me. Jesus, I choose to forgive for causing me to feel. I'm willing to pay the emotional pain and consequence that individual caused me. And then one more statement. I ask you, Jesus, to take back ground the enemy has taken. I yield that ground to your control. Satan's going to come along, maybe even this day, and he's going to whisper and say, you don't really think this is going to work, or you don't really think you can be free after all this time, or you don't really want to give this gift of grace. Don't you remember what they said or did? I ask you, Jesus, take back ground the enemy has taken. I yield it to your control. Psalm 90, the rest of that perspective of Moses, he writes this watching the people dying, watching those who were the next generation ready to inherit the promised land. Psalm 90, he closes with this. So teach us to number our days. Moses saw the consequence of sin. He saw the hope of grace. He said, look, teach us to number our days so we don't spend them consumed with selfishness. Let us number our days, consuming them with love, grace and freedom and victory in Jesus. What happened to that couple? Richard shares this. Marianne was completely composed. She told me Mark had told her to drop dead, called her a terrible person, so on, and it made her think. She always wanted to go to college. Her parents had told her she should get married, have kids, and nothing else. She, re she resented this, but had said nothing all these years. Turning to her family, she said, it's over now, I'm going back to school. So what happened? When Mark was able to criticize her for the first time in such an exaggerated way, 
It changed his own pattern of dealing with her fear and enabled her to change how she responded to that fear. And when she stopped seeing herself as a victim because he stopped seeing her as a victim, she then learned to reassert herself. Marianne went back to school to study psychology and is now successful in her new career. And her and Mark are still happily married. Different perspective, different actions, different outcome. If you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change.